0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, Levi asked me last night, he said, uh, Dad, why did God invent bad words? And I tried to tell him that God didn't invent bad words. So human beings just kind of take the human language and do what they want to with us. And it, he, he seemed to be okay with that. But one thing I do want to tell you this morning, the one thing that God invented is sex. And so usually when we hear a message in a church concerning sex, it's kind of taken the negative slant, and there certainly are some negative things in the Bible. The Bible says and cautions about the whole sexual activity, but I need to tell you at the very start that God invented sex. This was God's idea. God didn't look down on Adam and Eve, and he wasn't just aghast at what he saw down there. I mean, this was God's idea. The first commandment in all of Scripture, you don't have to get any farther than the First book of the Bible and the first two chapters and then the first commandment ever given is to have sex. Wasn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. First commandment that was ever given. So what I want to say to you at the very start is that sex is a good and a godly thing kept within the boundaries that God has given it. And, and, and too many times in the Christian church, we've approached this subject, or a lot of subjects, to be quite honest with you, from a negative point of view. And the, the no, you know, and sometimes Christians, people are no, only know Christians about what we're against. Let me tell you, as Christians, we're for sex, okay? You can laugh, you can smile, you don't have to be all worried about that. We are, we're for sex. And God is, is all about sex. And, and He wants us to be able to have a healthy sex life kept inside the boundaries that he has been able to create for it. And after all, the only thing sin is, is things taken outside of the boundaries. Because everything that God has created is good. God doesn't create sinful things. So everything God creates is good. But what we as human beings do is come and take that good thing that God has created and take it outside the boundaries that God has given us, and then it becomes sin, then, I mean, that's the most basic definition of sin that you can possibly have. There's nothing wrong with money. God has given us money for a means of exchange and to, to buy the things that we need and to be able to have money to enjoy some things in life. But once the human beings come in and take that money and put it outside of the boundaries, it becomes the lust of money and it becomes sin. Two to to, uh, to men can have a, a close Friendship, like a Jonathan and a David in the Bible and be, be, be great buds and great friends, but human beings can come along and take that close male friendship and take it outside of the boundaries that God has been able to make for it and becomes homosexuality. The only thing that God is, Everything God has created has been good, but what we do with our free will is take it outside of the boundaries. So that's not why we just throw away the TV set or... or or throw away something. There's nothing wrong with TV. Now, God didn't create TV. He had to allow TV to be created. But TV is fine until it's taken outside the boundaries. The same thing for a computer, until it's taken outside the boundaries of what God's Word has laid out for us. And that's what happens in this whole sexual arena. So I'm going to start this morning with a few minutes on what the Bible says is the really great thing about sex. And the Bible is really pro-sex, and we hear it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, everybody misinterprets this verse. You have to read this totally in its context. And if you read it in its context, Paul here is talking about singleness. If you read down a little bit farther, he talks about this gift that he has of singleness. Okay, what he's trying to say right here, in Corinthians was, was written to the Corinthian church about a letter that they wrote Paul asking some questions. Okay, so Paul they write this letter to Paul. Paul responds and said, Now about the matters that you wrote about. He's answering their questions that they had for him. And evidently they had some questions about singleness. And is it okay for somebody to be single? Do you have to marry? Are single people, are they better than married people? Or are single people lower, some substandard to marry people? And he said, it's fine, man. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Other translations will say it is good not to marry. Friends, hear me at the very top here. Singleness is not some substandard living that we have. And sometimes in a church, I think we've looked at it and we try to marry all the single people off as fast as we possibly can. And we try to do that probably with good intentions. But singleness is not this substandard. Oh, that poor single person over there. That's not this substandard. Paul says it's good. It's okay. But then he says, but, in verse 2. But, since there's just sexual immorality everywhere. Now, friends, you think it's bad in the United States of America in 2013, it was way worse in Corinth. It was worse. In the, it was especially worse in the church at Corinth. I mean, the only reason that Paul wrote this church was because they were so messed up, and he had to correct them in so many ways. There's so much sin in this church, incest in this church. Church members were suing one another. You can read all about it in 1 Corinthians. So we think today is, 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 is bad, but man, you, you, had, you had pagans, people that had not had any kind of Christian upbringing. We have, a, we have a, some, some sort of a Christian worldview, and even if you're not a Christian, you probably had a, a, a parents or grandparents or some Christian teaching down the line somewhere, and so you just kind of intuitively know things. These people didn't have anything. And so they, were, they, they believed in Jesus, but they had all this baggage in their life. Since sexual morality is everywhere, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Well, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say each. No, go back, please. It doesn't say each man. Go back, please. It doesn't say each man should have sexual relations with a woman. It doesn't say that each woman should have sexual relations with a man. It said each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. In each wife with their own husband. You cannot find anywhere in God's Word where sex is talked about in a positive way that it is not one husband and one wife. You cannot find it. You cannot find it. The biblical understanding of intimacy is one husband and one wife. Now, do not have to be any more plain than that? The Bible has no understanding of premarital sex. No understanding of that. When sex is talked about in in all of its glory, it's the husband and the wife. Now, premarital sex is not the unforgivable sin. And there's many of us, many of us, in this room that have been forgiven for that. But hear me plainly. And sometimes I think when you talk about sex, everybody thinks that you're talking to the teenagers. (laughs) I'm talking to me, man. I'm talking to everybody. He could have said anything there. But he says, the man should have sexual relations with his wife and a woman with her husband. Well, you don't understand my desires. Yes, I do. (laughs) And Paul does because he says since sexual immorality is occurring, get married. Get married. Verse 3. Now, the husband should fulfill his duty. Sue, I'm reporting for duty right here. here. (laughs) The man should fulfill his duty and likewise the wife to her husband. Next verse. Wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to the husband. Oh, that's that Bible again. All that patriarch male have dominance over the women. Oh, let's read a little further. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Well, That must be the mutual submission that Ephesians 5.20 talks about. Submit yourself one to another. Submit yourselves one to another. And Sue doesn't have authority over her body, and... I don't have authority over mine, so Sue kind of gets upset when I pinch her butt. But I'm pinching my own butt, really. You know. <laughs> is she laughing over here? Or is she laughing? <laughs> and y'all have a couch I can sleep on morning? One flesh, like we talked about. I don't understand that. It's some kind of a mystery. I don't understand that. But we talked about it last week. One flesh and my body, her body, her body, my body, and the Bible's pro-sex. Fulfill your duty. Verse 5. Don't deprive each other. Don't deprive each other. You know what breaks my heart? Absolutely, it breaks my heart when a husband and wife are in the office and they talk about their marriage and how much they don't get along and all that. that. That breaks my heart. And they're thinking about divorce, that breaks my heart. But it equally breaks my heart when I have a husband and wife that talks about that they haven't had sex for years and there's no physical issue at all. It breaks my heart. Because they cannot be enjoying the Christian marriage the way God wants them to enjoy it if they don't have that part of their marriage working right. Don't deprive one another. Don't deprive one another. Because when you deprive one another, Paul will tell us a little bit later, you give the devil a foothold. You give the devil an end in, in your life when you deprive one another. Now, I'm going I'm to step in it a lot this message, and I might as well start right here. Now, ladies... Some of your bodies don't look exactly the way they did on your wedding night. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't make it as an excuse not to have sex. If if you do, it actually means you're so self-absorbed in yourself, the only thing you do in sex is just Let yourself go to your spouse. You're not self-absorbed. You're there for your spouse. Don't deprive yourselves. Except by mutual consent, you got a real issue going on in your life, and you got to pray for your kids, and a kid is really going down the wrong road, or you've got to really make a big, serious decision, and, and, and so we're going to come together, and we're going to abstain here for a week because of... Of, of, of this issue, and we're going to pray about this together, and we're going to fast about this together. So don't deprive them unless you're going to, cons- unless by mutual consent. Then you make sure you come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I just wanted to start right there at the very top and say at the very top that God is Pro-sex. The Bible is pro- God invented it. It was his idea. Well, well, I've heard this. Well, you know, sex is only to have kids. What? What? Ladies, I'm sorry for some of the things that your mothers or your grandmothers have taught you. And guys, we have to be untaught of some stupid things that we have been learned about sex, thinking that a female is a sex object for our desire and pleasure only. We're so messed up in this whole area. But I just want to start right here. Her body's my body, and my body's her body, and don't deprive one another and step up the plate and report for duty. And I'm serious as I can be, I'm not going for life. A Christian marriage, Christian marriage is a marriage with a great sex life. Now there, there could be some physical issues and all that, and that all, I mean, we all have common sense, we understand that and a marriage cannot be all that it can be without that area operating as it should operate now there are also some very strict cautions that usually get preached and we to be fully biblical we've got to be able to do that so 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Paul Paul's quoting the Corinthians here and says, the Corinthians says, well, I have the right to do whatever I want. And that's nothing new. We hear that today. My, I can do with my body whatever I want. Who cares? It's just two consenting adults. I'm not hurting anybody. What they do in the, in the privacy of their own bedroom is, is, is nobody else's business. Get out of my bedroom. And that's what the Corinthians are saying. I mean, I have the right to do whatever I want. Paul says, you say. Then Paul says, but everything is not beneficial to you. And he quotes him again I have the right to do whatever I want. It's my body, I'll do whatever I want to with it. But Paul says, I, I won't be mastered by anything. And, and, and sin, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. And no one who is messed up in horrible sexual sin or any sin right now attended to be there. <laughs> but it was a little bit and then a little bit. And sin is progressive. And you cross this line and then you cross that line, and then you cross this line. And man, I, I didn't mean to get here. Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. And the assumption, obviously, is he would be mastered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let anything master me. That's, master me. That's like what it says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let that wine master me and, and control what I say or do. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So these Corinthians are saying, well, I can do whatever I want to. I have a right to my own body. Verse thirteen, and they also said, "What's well, just a biological act? Just like you get hungry and you have food, you get thirsty and you drink water. It's just a biological act. You have a desire. I get hungry. I have a desire for food. I get thirsty. I have a desire for water. It's no big deal. It's just the body." And many people in in the in in the, that time in Corinth. Which just felt like the body was totally separate than the soul. And wh- what we did in, in, in a religious way was different than the biological needs of our body. So it's just a biological act. I heard a guy say on the radio one time, I, prom- I promise you he said this. He was just arguing this way. It's just a biological act. I get thirsty, I have a drink of water. I get hungry, I ha- have some food. And I-, I-, I feel like I need sex, and I find a woman, and, and- no, I, I- He said, I find a woman, and then I get released. It's just like if you feel like you need to urinate, you go to a toilet. And so he created, he compared a toilet to a woman. It's just a biological act. Paul says, no, 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 no. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality for the Lord. Body is not separate from my spiritual life. What I do in this body has everything to do with my soul and my spirit. Next verse. By the power of God, but the, by the power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, I don't know how to explain this, but in some way, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and we're united with Christ and I don't even understand that. And, but somehow if I take my body and use it in a moral way, I'm taking Jesus and using it in a moral way. I'm taking the Holy Spirit and using it in a moral way. And that's, that's blasphemy of the highest order. And I don't understand that and I can't fully explain that, but that's what Paul's trying to say here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Well, I've never, I I would never have sex with a prostitute. Or a, a woman would say, I would never be a prostitute. Well, really? Are you telling me that some guys don't go out and spend $100 on a meal and... go to a nice movie and not expect something for the money they just spent? Are you telling me that some girls don't ex- feel obligated to perform some services for the guy just because the guy has spent a lot of money on her? That goes on all the time. What is that? That is, that is money given for services rendered. That's what prostitution is. Now, it's not street walking. But if a guy lays out a whole bunch of money on a bit expensive date and he expects something in return, he is buying sex. And if a girl somehow feels obligated to perform some service because of this money that's been spent on her that night, she is selling sex. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. We talked about last week. Verse 17. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee. It was interesting. As I researched this word in the Greek, it literally means, listen, I just think this is good. Maybe I'm the weirdo and nobody else thinks this is good. But the word literally means to seek safety. Isn't that good? The word literally means to seek safety, flee, flee. Other places, this the same word that's translated "flee" here is translated "run away," flee, run away from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body 19 do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit now there's lots of applications to this there's 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 applications to this 15 pounds I need to lose right here there's lots of applications to this other outside the sexual arena that we honor God with our bodies and, and I laugh at my 15 pounds and, and maybe it's not I guess it's not as bad as the sexual immorality and, and, but I don't, I'm never, I've never discussed it with him and I hope I don't embarrass him but Brandon told me God kind of convicted him on this and so the weight that he's been losing is not just well I gotta get my heart working better or whatever No, it's part of his Christianity Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, in summary, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Now, there's one more passage I want to go to, and it's in First. I never can say this. Say it. Yes, it is. I want to say S-E-T-H, Elonians. I can't say it. All right. It is God's will. I wonder what God's will for my life is. I don't know whether to go here or do that or move there or do that. I don't know either, but I do know it's this. For every single one of us, it's God's will that you be sanctified. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? That's a big theological word. It means the process of, of transformation that God is bringing in your life, it means God's vision for your life to turn you into Christ's likeness, to turn you into the man, to turn you into the woman that God wants you to be. And, and, and there's, there's a moment of, of, of that you are being sanctified, but in the same way you are being sanctified, and you are growing and transforming and changing into the person that God wants you to be. And Paul says it's God's will for every single one of you that you grow in christ's likeness that you grow in christian maturity that you grow into the person that god wants you to be that you are set apart which that literally is what that word means and you are different than the world that's god's will for you that's god's will for you but isn't it interesting as the holy inspiration of the holy spirit as paul is writing and he writes the word that's translated uh, sanctified he, the holy spirit of god immediately leads him to sexual immaturity isn't that amazing would be a whole lot of areas that we could talk about under that heading of sanctification but the spirit of god leads paul right away to sexual immorality the word is avoid. literally the word is to distance yourself from that's good too literally the word is to distance yourself from so let's get really practical. I hope we've been practical, but let's get really down and dirty practical. What in this whole area of sexual immorality, which is a whole lot more than sex outside of marriage, and it's a whole lot more than adultery, it's a whole lot more than what we may think, what do you need to distance yourself from? Because you know what we are as Christians. We want to see how just how close we can get to that line. There's an old preacher story. I hope it's true, but a lot of preacher stories get exaggerated. I'm not sure they're all true, but there's this lady that was interviewing a chauffeur, and she says, how close can you get my limousine to that wall? And the guy says, well, I can get it within a foot of the wall. And sure enough, he turned that corner and came within a foot of the wall. next candidate says, well, I can get it within six inches of the wall. So sure enough, he came and got within six inches of the wall. Third candidate came up and said, well, I can get it within three inches of the wall. Sure enough, came up, turned that limo in three inches of the wall. And the fourth candidate said, man, I don't don't know if I can do that. My goal is to keep it as far away from the wall as I possibly can. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. Distance. yours. Why would I want to see how close I can get to it Now I don't know maybe I'm the only one here but if I am close to the line I'm a whole lot more susceptible to go over that line than I am if I'm back here. And I know myself and I know in the heat of the moment I'm going to cross that line. Unless I have put safeguards in my life and I have distanced myself from sexual immorality. Maybe some of you Women don't have wondered why I would never have never ever given you a ride anywhere. I'll never get in a car alone with any of you women. Never. Never. And I could probably do it all of my ministerial career, and nothing would happen. I just will not allow that to happen. And so this week, if I, I wondered if it was going to happen this week, you know, I grab one ladies and we had to run to Walmart or something. I'd grab somebody else to go with me. Why? Because I'm distancing myself from even the hint of anything that could be improper. What else do you need to distance yourself from? Do you need to distance yourself from your computer? And we'll talk about this next week. Do you need to distance yourself from your computer? I don't know. We have a filter on our Our computer. And so I have one safeguard, that I distance myself, and Sue's the only one in the house that has a password. Well, I I, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? Only if you're giving license to sin in your life. Why wouldn't you do, as, as, as I know some people in this church do, they've signed up for a program that every single website they go to Gets printed out and emailed to some accountability brother and sister, every single website they go to. Why wouldn't you want to do that? The only reason I could think you wouldn't want to do that if you didn't want somebody seeing what you're looking at on the website. Distance yourself. I can tell you somebody in a past church that committed adultery on his wife. And he quit his job because of it, because he had to distance himself. He like, quit his job. Man, that's rather radical. It's not, it's not as radical as losing your marriage. Well, he had to take a less-paying job. Big deal. Big deal. You have to do what you have to do, and especially you have to do things that earn trust back on the spouse that's lost trust in you and if that's something as radical as quitting your job so be it you have to distance yourself from sexual immorality you may have to not hang around in the break room because she or him always comes in there i don't know i have no one in mind i'm just thinking about things that i may have to deal with You may have to go a different route to work because of that strip joint that's on that route and the things that that strip joint brings to your mind. Now, people who really want all of God do that kind of stuff. People who really want their minds to be pure do that kind of stuff. People who want to be as close to God as they can possibly be and love Him inside out do that kind of stuff. And people that don't like to have a little bit of Jesus, but a little bit of strip joint too. Next verse. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Fruit of the spirit is self-control. I've said that a lot of times. Galatians 5:22. Fruit of the spirit is self-control. As I control myself, as I control myself. I'm led by the Spirit. If I'm out of control, I'm not led by the Spirit. Verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this manner, what matter are you talking about, Mark? The whole sexual immorality matter back up in verse 3. That, listen, listen to this. This is fascinating. That in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Now, it, why is that there? In this matter of this sexual immorality thing that we're talking about, no one should wrong a brother or sister. And that, that, that obviously means a Christian, a fellow Christian. It's not talking about a, a, a family situation. It's talking about a fellow Christian. Now, what's Paul getting at here? my journey of sanctification that I'm on, my journey of Christ's likeness, my journey of spiritual maturity, my journey of transformation that I'm on, you have something to do with. And I have something to do with yours because we're the church. And the Bible says we belong to one another. And I can put a stumbling block in front of you and you can put a stumbling block in front of me and make my journey of sanctification, my journey of transformation, and my journey of Christ-likeness more difficult for me and I for you. We're all in this together. No one is an island, and we stand alone. That's basic theology of the church. Now, let me, get, let me, let me, let me really get in trouble. How can this practically play out? Ladies... You can hurt and thwart and make me stumble on my journey to sanctification and Christ's likeness. You can do that. You have the power to do that. And one of the ways you have the power to do that is by what you wear. Is by what you wear. I don't understand why I have to look at anyone else's cleavage except my wife. I don't understand that. I truly don't. I don't understand why I have to have that difficult time when I go out to the mall a- and everywhere there's cleavage, everywhere. Why do I have to deal with that? Well, Mark, you got a problem. You better, you, you better believe I have a problem. Every man in here has a problem. <laughs> and if you ladies don't understand that, you're naive. And your husband hasn't communicated that to you, and that's his fault if he hasn't communicated the sexual temptation and difficulties that he has. Ladies, we want you to be in fashion. We want you to be styling, but not at the expense of flaunting yourself and showing your cleavage to any Tom, Dick, and Harry that can see it. Why would you want to do that? Your husband should be the only one that can look at your cleavage, and he ought to be able to see it anytime he wants. Somebody told me a joke in the hallway between the services. Well, I don't mind telling you who it was. It was Daryl Siders. <laughs> he goes, you know what a definition of a redneck is, don't you? And I said, no. He said, it's somebody showing their cleavage that to people that don't even want to see it anymore. It's like the old woman showing their cleavage to somebody who don't even want to see it anymore. He said, that's what a redneck is. Ladies, would you... Why do you want to attract me with your cleavage? Why do you want to attract a guy with your cleavage? Because you're attracting the guy for the wrong reason. Why do you make me look away? Why do you make those thoughts come in my mind that I've tried so hard for 17 years of Christian living to take off my brain? I know you. I know Sue complains about it. She can't go anywhere and buy any kind of blouse anymore. And she has to go from store to store to store to store, and the only thing she can find anything is at Christopher and Banks. That's just not showing all kinds of cleavage. Now, this is vice versa. This can be vice versa. Can I tell you something? I'm already in it. I might as well go a little deeper. Can, you t- can I tell you something? This is the truth. Can you, do you know how difficult it would be for me to thwart your journey of sanctification? Do you know how easy it would be for me to be able to thwart your journey of Christ-likeness and transformation? I've had women in my office... Well, first thing I did when I got here is to cut a, a window in everybody's office. There wasn't one. And I've been counseling some lonely wives in my office before. Do you know how easy it would be for me? Do you know how easy it would be for me? And that's why you read so many times with pastors, because it's so easy lonely women ladies we want you to be in fashion but don't try to attract us with your cleavage I want to be attracted to your eyes I was halfway, I was halfway mad at Brandon about a couple months ago we were having a funeral and Harold was doing the funeral and Brandon was doing the music, so Brandon was sitting down right here. And he was sitting down waiting for Harold to, to finish until he can go back to the piano. And, and Brandon was up here on his, on his phone texting. And I sat back there in about the fourth row. I said, Brandon, for the love of Pete, would you put that away? Funeral was over. You know, you do what you do. At funerals, everybody walks past the family, so here I come. And I turned this corner right here, and little Miss Cleavage just popped out at me. I mean, this about knocked me down. And after the service was over, Brandon looked at me and said, did you see Miss Cleavage on the front row? He goes, I had to text all the time just to keep him looking at it. <laughs> so don't judge people they are texting all the time, you know. Ladies, I'll end it here. I'm already in enough trouble. I'll end it here. <laughs> we have a problem. It's our eyes. You don't have the same problem, ladies. And so many of you are either naive or can't relate. I, Okay, please accept the fact we have a problem. We have a problem. And I'll even go a little farther. I don't know why any husband would want me to look at his wife's cleavage. Avoid, distance yourself. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister on our road to sanctification, which is the will of God. I've tried to be biblical and hit all sides. I've tried to be able to tell you that God is just into sex, man. He he invented it. It was his idea. And he wants us to enjoy sexual relations. And it grieves his heart when a husband and a wife are not coming together in sexual union on a regular basis and pleasing each other in that way. It grieves his heart because they are, not under, they are not enjoying the intimacy. Now, I understand there's physical issues and all. I get all of that. I, I get all that, and I could, I could go deeper here, but I'm not going to go deeper here. But I, I understand all of that. But there's boundaries by which we should enjoy sex and those boundaries are within the confines of marriage. And there's a whole lot more involved in sexual immorality than (coughs) adultery. Husbands, do you realize how disrespected your wives feel when you look at pornography? Do you know how much it hurts their self-esteem? And how betrayed they feel. Church, we all be able to talk things like this. Because if we don't talk about it in here, you only learn about it out there, and I'm not comfortable with that. Or you only learn about it on Oprah Winfrey or wherever, or in the school system. I hope you've heard me say that um, Bible is all for sex. Kept in the boundaries. Kept in the boundaries. You don't know how many people who have had multiple, 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 multiple partners have been in a pastor's office somewhere. They've come to Christ. They've been in a pastor's office somewhere. And they're trying to understand why they can't have good, close intimacy with their wife. And that's because they've given away a piece of themselves, and a piece of themselves, and a piece of themselves, and a piece of themselves, over and over and over again. Now, God is a God of grace, and through confession and repentance, things can be restored. Last thing I'll say, we'll go. A gentleman in this church about three weeks ago came to me and talked to me about marital infidelity that's happened in the past year in his life. And he says, he has confessed that to his spouse, to his family. He says, Mark, you don't understand how clean I feel. You don't understand that the weight is off my shoulders. The truth will set you free. And I don't understand how confession and repentance works in your own situation and all that, but there's something, something about confession that the truth will set you free. And the Bible does say to confess your sins one to another. <laughs> this message, or there's been things I've said that some of you have uh, disagreed with. That's okay. Man, I'm cool with that. Come talk to me. I think everything I've said has been has been biblical. I think I can root everything I've said in God's Word. Some of you, it's brought up horrible, horrible hurts. Some of you have just turned me off totally. But there's a few of you in here that you've caught God's vision for your life. And it's His will that you grow and transform and be sanctified. And amongst Christians, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality we should be different different than the world let's pray well Lord I've tried the best I can and to hit a, a difficult subject and I pray that you take the words that I'm sure kind of clumsily came out of my mouth and I hope these people heard my heart and know that it was simply the greatest desire of my life that our marriages would be as healthy as they possibly can in every way, and that we would all, whether we'd be married or unmarried, to be able to distance ourselves from sexual immorality so we wouldn't keep giving a piece of us away and away and away. Father, how I wish that I was saved before I was 34 so all the stuff that's on my brain wasn't there but it is and you have forgiven that and you're working with me on that as you are for many people in here male and female you're a God of grace you're a God of restoration you're a God of renewal you're a God of transformation if we want you to do that kind of work in our life. Now let's take a moment of silent prayer, and I don't know where the Holy Spirit has kind of pricked you, nudged you. Would you take a second, talk to the Father, in any kind of response you have on this message?